This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the draft is just about a week away. Our NFL draft previews roll along this week. We'll be diving into the world of defensive backs. And with me this week to announce his very own Super League, it's David Newman. I feel like he can maybe last longer than 48 hours, right? Yeah, maybe. that's uh, that's going to be tough. Um, it, it's just that what, what an absolute abject fucking disaster this was i love that uh that we managed to get uh josie Mourinho as the only coach to get fired as part of the super league team hey man uh tottenham hotspurs gotta figure out a way to stay super because (laughs) their play on the field definitely not it Uh, I, i saw cliff today and it was like all the top teams in europe and the tottenham hotspurs Talking about the Super League. <laughs> I thought it was Oh, good. yeah. I forget. There was somebody, you know, one of the many fucking people that had, like, crazy rants on, on Sky Sports or one television channel or another was, like, they're asking questions and he was talking about how, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool and stuff like that should be ashamed and they should get the harshest penalties. And then somebody kind of asked him, like, what about Tottenham? And I'm like, ah, no, I, whatever. Yeah, don't care about the Spurs. (laughs) So the the narrative apparently in the UK is that the Americans are to blame. You've got Arsenal, uh, their owner, Stan Kroenke, uh, who is should be familiar to to to, uh, football fans here in the United States uh, because he owns a franchise here in the United States. Uh, Manchester United, the Glazers own them and Liverpool, John W. Henry, who uh, I think he posted a video today and it was just like, if you could take your wardrobe out of an L.L. Bean catalog for your grandfather, this man would be wearing it. It was like a checkered shirt and like a not so puffy, uh, shiny vest. Um, it just the man looked very um, grandfatherly. But the they, apparently they don't know, you know, they, they can't handle relegation. They don't like it. They want to be in the league and that's it. And so that I, I find that to be, um, you know, a theory with some legs, which I find interesting. But. Other English teams went along with it, right? Like Chelsea went along with it. Barcelona went along with it. Real Madrid went along with it. Um, they all just wanted monies. It was it was a dumb, dumb thing. I'm glad it's over. And and now we can get back to watching Chelsea tie <laughs> and squeak into the top four and uh, almost piss it away. Excuse me, draw? Okay. Draw uh, yes, in, sorry, in the tie. The tie ended in draw, if you will. Yeah, get out of here. Uh, that's that's apparently it's one of the other reasons that people hate the American owners because they'll call it soccer and they'll call them franchises as opposed to clubs. Uh, you know, little 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 things that make you sound like you you know are not of that group. A couple of interesting notes about the whole Super League, which I'm, I'm glad is done, but things that I found funny. One, I'm I'm a Barcelona fan, have been for a long time, um, but I am on record as saying. If Barcelona is stupid with managing their billions of dollars, they don't deserve to get more. Like, just because they spend a whole bunch of money on stupid players that don't fit, uh, that are good just because they're a name, and then it's like, oh, we messed up. We've got billions of dollars and messy, and now we don't know what to do. We can't field the team because we have no money. It's like, well, that's your fault. You <laughs> deal. Figure Sorry it out. Um, and Arsenal, man, Arsenal. I just, I, I keep thinking about Arsenal because the, uh, Leon has more Champions League semifinal appearances over the last, like, probably 10 years than Arsenal does. I don't know if people know that Lyon is a football team or whether or not it's the Spanish rendition of the Lion King. I was like, going to say, that, I, I, I don't know what league they are in. Uh, they're they French. There you go. Yeah, so it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a dumb, dumb idea. I'm glad it's done. 
Um, and, and because this is an all football podcast all the time, we'll get to the other football, the American football. Uh, and we've actually got some some non-draft news. We are making championships move, championship moves, David. Signed Wayne Gullman, running back from the New York Football Giants, is now a San Francisco 49er. He can rectify the terrible, the terrible stank that Brandon Jacobs left as the last Giants running back to sign as a free agent for the 49ers. Wayne Gallman, the floor is yours. Fix it all. Yeah, I mean, I guess if the bar is the Brandon Jacobs line, then, you know, there, maybe there's some room for success there. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have uh, a whole lot to say about adding Wayne Gallman. Like, I don't think that it's going to be uh, a significant move for this backfield. Like, obviously, they're, I think, hoping that, that Mostert is the guy and is healthy, and, and he's going to probably get... Um, you know, the, the bulk of the carries there. But we know that even when that's the case, like they're going to rotate some guys in there. And so I'm sure that like he's going to have an opportunity to get some snaps and, and all that. But like, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it matters. This is like a depth signing at best. I, I love the signing because it, it, based on where they signed him in the cycle, it means it's not for a lot of money, yeah. which means that this is exactly the kind of running back that you want to get. Yep. I mean, in terms of what he's able to do on the field, uh, he had 3.63 yards after contact per attempt. That was fourth best in the NFL for players that had a minimum of 75 snaps. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Dude can get yards after contact, which is a nice thing to have in the backfield. 25% of his yards were on breakaway runs. That's runs 15 or more yards in length. That was in the same range as Jeff Wilson. A little worse not as much. So you're talking about someone who's is not he's not as fast as Tevin Coleman. I don't think he had like a four five four six forty yard dash, but he's got some power. He can play. He can maybe be that thumper that Shanahan likes to kind of have uh, in his repertoire. And and that's you know this is the kind of signing that you're like yeah you're going to get some decent production out of it. You're not going to spend a ton of money on it. You're always going to be able to find these running backs. Let's do it. This is this is where you get your running backs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like probably the the biggest thing is more of like, um, yeah, like you mentioned, the timing of the signing and and kind of more what it says about uh, how you should approach that position as opposed to anything, you know, terribly specific about Wayne Gallman and what his impact will be. Uh, But we do also have the key to success in Arden Key championship moves. I'm telling you right now. Oh, dude, my new balances are in the mail. (laughs) In the mail. (laughs) Uh, we, he is, uh, not good at football, at least not in his thousand snaps. I feel like thousands, the thousand snap threshold is the threshold that we use to be like, well, I don't know. He could develop into something more. He could grow into something more. It's like, we've got a thousand snaps of professional production and it's the production would be a bit of a stretch at this point. But he, but here's the thing. He's young. He doesn't, he's not going to be asked to be the main guy. He's going to be maybe a rotational depth piece. And, and really, all he has to do is clear the Deion Jordan line. Like, I feel like the Niners have a spot on their roster for a missed cast defensive lineman that they're trying to rehabilitate in some way. Last year, it was Deion Jordan with a side piece uh, rendition of Ziggy Ansah. And, and now it's going to be Arden Key. It's like, why not have just an understudy of players? Because maybe one of these days you'll hit on one and then you end up getting, you know, some kind of a bonus. Um, but to date... Arden Key has not shown us that he can be the one. I, I mean, the, I I get the appeal, right, of like trying to add these guys and, and whether it was somebody like Jordan, right, who was a, a, a former first round pick or, or just like guys who have shown um, that they have some physical talent and you can bring them in for cheap and, and see if you can get something better out of them, right? If you obviously have a lot of faith in your defensive line coach and, and what you're able to do there. And of course, like the guys that, he's going to get a play alongside um, on that defensive line, you know, hoping that that can give him uh, potentially some better opportunities because, yeah, I mean, I think when you look back at, I mean, he was one of the, the many, many edge rushers, you know, that were in uh, that 2018 class that I remember like looking back at a lot, um, you know, during, during draft time with the 49 Harold Landry for life. Yeah. Yeah. Harold Landry, Bradley Chubb, Davenport, you know, um, that was Josh Sweat. Um, you know, all those guys, we, we talked about a bunch of those, um, players that draft season. And, and I mean, there was an argument that Arden Key was, was maybe the most physically gifted of any of those players in that class, right? The, the issue with him was largely 
off the field stuff and, and just like, you know, kind of focus and, and whether he was able going, uh, ever going to be able to consistently put it together. And I think so far, right, like like you said, over a thousand snaps, uh, over twelve hundred snaps uh, with the Raiders, and and just really hasn't shown it, and, and hasn't shown it at all. Like, and so I think, yeah, he's going to be uh, at best a rotational pass rusher. Like he he offers nothing against the run. He didn't offer anything against the run. Uh, he, I mean, it, shit, at LSU he seemed uninterested against the run. Like just, I, I remember that. Um, I, I remember that looking at his tape and going, "Huh, he doesn't seem to care much about." Which, like, look, uh, I get it. I don't care about the run, but I'm not also out there playing against the run. So there's maybe a slight difference there. But yeah, I, I think like um, he he is a guy that again has some physical tools that that are probably in there somewhere, but um, has has never shown that he can actually put it together and be a solid producer for any period of time. What were you saying before when we were talking about him that like there are 19 players in that draft class that that have uh, pass rush snaps and of, and of them Arden Key is like what 14th in terms of his pass rush grade? Yeah, so it, it was um, just overall grade. I mean, pass rush is is a you know a little bit better element of his game, but still um, is is not very good. But yeah, it was like uh, of 19 players out of that draft class that again had a lot of guys that. Um, you know, went in the first four rounds or so and, and, and a good amount there in that first round. But um, yeah, was he, he's been at 14th out of the, the 19 guys that hit that snap threshold through through their first three seasons. So um, yeah, just, just not a lot to write home about in, in terms of his time uh, with the Raiders. Two other quick things I wanted to talk about because we've got a lot of defensive backs to get to. It's going to be a big, we're going to basically drop all of our scouting reports here on the table. Uh, and read them off to you, like um, basically audible.com. Uh, but the <laughs> one, Tony Jefferson came in for a visit. This would normally not make uh, a rundown on the Better Rivals podcast, but I thought it was interesting because the, this James Betcher hire, which is the, a defensive coordinator that is basically a senior defensive assistant with the 49ers, former defensive coordinator, who's coming in to really help out D'Amico Ryans. He, that, that hire is really interesting to me in part because of a conversation I had with Matt Barrows uh, maybe a month into, or a couple months ago where we were talking about the you know Joe Woods hire and the Chris Kosurik hire, and, and he was saying that really those were Shanahan hires, that Shanahan was bringing those elements into the defense and was asking Sala to fold those things into his defense overall. Sala did fold those things into his defense very, very well, but Betcher seems to me like another one of those Shanahan kind of picks where he's like, all right, we're going to bring this other thing in to help a new defensive coordinator uh, kind of navigate being a defensive coordinator because Betcher has some experience being a defensive coordinator. The other thing that Betcher does is he likes to blitz a lot. And and he is known for his blitz packages. And Tony Jefferson, he had a, a knee injury in 2019, which has held him out for a long time. But Jefferson is, you know, kind of, he played for Baltimore as well, which plays a lot of man coverage. You know, and so I'm wondering what influence, what thing Betcher is going to bring, if anything, to the 49ers defense. And it may be more varied or exotic blitz packages. And if you're thinking about a team that is going to have to find a new way to, you know, either generate pressure or or do something creative on the back end, you know, to kind of save your defensive backs from being exposed, if you don't have very many of them, well, that might be pressure. Um, you know, Robert Sala did it. Uh, you know, in 2018, uh, he didn't have to do it in 2019. Uh, and then their blitz rate went back up in 2020. So, you know, it definitely does adjust based on the quality of defensive line play. Um, and so we'll see what ends up happening with, with James Betcher and what he can bring, but it's one of those things that I'm kind of monitoring to see, to see what happens. And I thought the Tony Jefferson workout was interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what they do defensively this year with, with Saligon and how much they stay, uh, to kind of what they've been doing, which was, you know, um, that th- they essentially tried to go the route. I mean, Sala definitely added things to that system, like over the course of his tenure there. Um, but but they kind of worked within uh, a small number of things that they felt like they could do frequently and did well. And there was a lot of crossover between even their different coverages, right, where a lot of the roles within that coverage and, and some of the adjustments that they would do um, would be similar to other coverages, right? So, uh, it, as far as like what they were doing, it was very like, you know, to use the Ravens as an example, like it, w- it was very different from that where the Ravens are um, using a lot of a lot of movement before the snap, a lot of disguise. They're, they're trying to, 
really confuse you. They have guys moving all over the place and, and dropping into unexpected places. And, and of course, they're going to bring pressure and, and do all that stuff. So yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of a different approach. So I think, yeah, now that Salah's not there, like, is that the direction, like you mentioned, that maybe Shanahan wants to go more? Maybe he wants to move away from, uh, you know, kind of that, that you know, more Seattle coverage-based style? Or, or, or is he, um, you know, just going to kind of try to keep things more status quo? And, and Betcher is really just there as, is a, a guy, like you said, that has experience and that can be somebody that, that Ryan leans on a little bit um, while he's, he's getting adjusted to that role. Yeah, and if you don't remember Betcher, Betcher was the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals uh, and then a defensive coordinator for the Giants as well. Um, and he did not have a fun exit from the Giants, which who was the last person that did have a, like, a, a good positive exit from the New York football Giants? Uh, but but yeah, but Betcher's known for his blitzing. He wasn't a defensive coordinator for the, the Ravens, but the Ravens did have more of that those kind of man coverage principles that Betcher relied on when he was sending a lot of, of blitz packages in Arizona and, and some with the Giants. Yeah, so, Jeff, and Jefferson to make the the to wrap that up, like played for Betcher in Arizona, right, and then right. went to the Ravens after that. Exactly. Um, so again, it could be nothing. Maybe the Niners don't even sign him, but hey, something I'm taking a look at. Uh, and finally, we've got number anarchy, David. Complete digital destruction. There is no rhyme or reason to the world. Uh, dogs and cats living together. Our pets' heads are falling off. All the things. Because there was a rule that was passed today that says that now, uh, I guess, wide receivers, running backs, uh, defensive linemen can basically wear whatever number they want except for number zero. Uh, one to 99 uh, and, and one to 50. I forget exactly what the breakdown is. But at this point, it just really, I feel so bad for all of the poor, poor game chargers that are out there that have relied on numbers to figure out exactly like what a position is, who who's who and what's what. And now it's just going to be anarchy. And I, and I feel for them. Here's the, here's the secret about that, though. As an insider, you never look at the numbers. Don't use the numbers. Numbers will steer you wrong. You can't always see the numbers. You got to use those other things. But I, I'm I'm here for it, man. Um, I oh I love it. I think it's I great. love it. I, yeah, I, I think like uh, getting to see receivers in single digits. I mean, uh, what there's thing Debo Samuel um, posting something on his Instagram. He wants to go back to number one. Uh, number one. Fucking love it. Yeah. Uh, I would like to see. Uh, give me give me some some cornerbacks wearing single digits as well. I'm here for the the single digit stuff. Oh, no, I love it. I love every second of it. I, I don't think that we should... I, I really don't think that we should really have like any number thing. It's like, whatever number you want to wear, dude, just wear it. Here's the one thing I'm against. Um, quarterbacks wearing anything above 20, 20 and up. Yeah. Get, okay. get that the shit out of here. But I'll give you kicker, that. Like, fuck, don't waste a single digit on a kicker. Like, make, I love the college <laughs> approach to that. Like, give kicker fucking, like... 99. You know, 78 or some bullshit that nobody... Want. Yeah, 97 <laughs> or, or whatever. Like, get it out of here. I can't wait until an edge rusher just slaps on, like, a linebacker number to look cool, and then a team uses that in negotiation, and they're like, look, we're going to franchise and pay like a linebacker. That's what your number says. <laughs> That's what your number says. Uh, yeah, it's great. You play, you stand up, you rush from a two-point stance, you're a linebacker. I'm not going to pay you that edge money. Get out of here. Um, yeah, it's great. I love it. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens with those numbers. But All right, David, let's get to the defensive back scouting reports. We have got a lot of options at pick number 43. We've exhausted options at number three. We've talked about those in detail if you want to catch those podcasts or those Patreon videos, please feel free to do so. We've got in-depth scattering reports on each of the effectively options for the 49ers at three. So now we move to the big at 43. The other big need for the 49ers is the defensive backfield. And this is by no means a comprehensive look at every single guy. I think we're, we're not going to talk about like Asante Samuel Jr. Um, uh, and, and maybe a couple of other guys sprinkled in there as well. But these are guys that we wanted to look at based on either production, scheme fit, or some other interesting thing that drew us to that player. And, and what we're trying to do is really establish a pool of players to pick from. We've talked in the past about uh, the work from economists, Thaler and Massey, that say that it's really hard to get like the exact guy right. Teams are usually not really good at saying, like, this is the guy. This is why trading up is not always great. But what you do is you establish a pool of players. You say, this is within the range of players in that group, 
and I'm going to pick one of these players and, and hopefully everything works out. And, and so what we're going to do here is hopefully establish that pool for the 49ers at 43, tell you what they do well, what where they win, what areas of concern we may have with those players. Uh, we're going to talk about their physical profile because that's a big deal as well. Uh, and then maybe some other like odds and ends about each individual player. And we're going to break them down into two big buckets in, in style of play, really position in today's NFL. We're going to start with this kind of versatile defensive back, this more slot safety type of player. And then we're going to move to the outside defensive back or the outside cornerback. So that's what we're going to do over the course of the next, I don't know, 40 minutes or so. Uh, so strap in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's start off with someone who is uh, very frequently mocked to the 49ers at the second round pick when I people send me the PFF mock draft results. Uh, and very often, the person in this slot is Elijah Molden, cornerback from Washington. And his consensus big board ranking is 57th. That, well, what's a consensus big board, you say? Well, a consensus big board is really RF Hassan's big board project from, from The Athletic, and it lists out the top 300 prospects from more than 50 big boards. And it's really good at kind of almost predicting where the order of these players are going to go. When compared to the individual boards, the consensus board ranked ninth in its ability to predict player order in the 2020 draft and seventh in 2019. So it really is effectively the wisdom of the crowd. Uh, and so we're going to give you, uh, you know, that as kind of where where they lay. But um, the, his consensus big board ranking is 57th. Uh, and when you look at his physical profile, you know, it's uh, all I'm saying is I can stare that dude in the eye. And if you've never seen me, uh, I would play point guard in a rec league with a six foot hoop. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you know. Uh... I feel like again, like we can say this, we're we're similar size. Um, he's not a large dude, um, just no. just not a big guy. Um, I think he is he's built well, right? So he's 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 kind of shorter. He doesn't have very very long arms at all or anything like that. He's not. I just have you seen that TikTok of that guy who's like I'm built different, and he's like squeezing an egg through his muscle. Oh, I'll, I'll have yeah. to send it to you yeah, afterwards. No, I, I think I have. Uh, that's whenever that, whenever i hear the term built and i'm thinking of like you know this in general i just think of that and i'm just like this is that's a hilarious thing to say out loud or record on a video but whatever um yeah and I, the, the concern though is like okay because there are people that are little um but but the concern is does that littleness really show up on his tape does it hinder him in any way shape or form um because i mean when you look at his arms like his arm length is in the second it's the second percentile and his height is in the 13th percentile when you compare him to other cornerbacks. Um, that's that, that could be a problem. Yeah, I think it, it you know, uh, obviously depends on how you want to use him and, and what. And, and I think that's kind of the thing, right? That's going to be a question with with all of these guys that we talk about in this group is is they kind of did, uh, you know, a little bit of everything at, at college. Um, I think Molden, more than, than most of the guys that we're going to talk about, was really... Um, primarily just in the slot throughout his entire career. And, and I think he had basically, uh, what was it, one game? And it was like the last game that he played in college where he played some some deeper safety. And, and I think there are some things with his game with it that make you think he might be able to make that transition. But yeah, I think he, in the, the role that he's in or was in in college and that I think he probably fits best in at the NFL and, and playing that slot, um, I, I don't think those things matter quite as much right the, the the short arms right it's not the same as an outside cornerback where uh especially for a team like the 49ers who i think you know probably prefer being physical at the line of scrimmage and, and getting up and pressing um you know he's not in in the slot going to do that a lot a lot of times even when you're impressed um your your slot guy is off the line of scrimmage right um and, and so and, and that's just because if you get routes that cross you need somebody that can kind of basically bubble over and, and you don't end up in a situation where guys are are colliding running into each other so um yeah a lot of times he's he's not going to be there uh right up in, in press coverage anyway um i think the one thing that we did see you know that that his size really kind of came into play was uh when he did have kind of some vertical routes out of the slot against bigger players right some of the 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 big, big slot type of, of guys there, that could be an area where maybe he's going to struggle to kind of challenge some of those seam routes or something like that. But, but overall, yeah, I thought he did, uh, you know, really well in what they asked him to do. 
You you look at the reps where he really wins, and those are mostly close to the line of scrimmage. A lot of screens, like don't throw a screen on this guy. Just don't do it because it's going to blow up and, and he's going to be the reason it blows up. It was like play after play. It was like, oh, there's a positive play. Oh, there's a positive play. There's another positive play. And they were all underneath throws or screens. He can play well when he goes downhill. And despite his size, he can play really physically. Like in that regard, what when I'm looking at him in the eye, this is what I didn't, I didn't finish the physical traits, right? Or his physical profile. I'm looking at him in the eye and I'm saying, you're my spirit animal, God damn it. Because you play with some feisty energy. And I love that energy. Don't let your size define you, Elijah Molden. Uh, and he doesn't. He, I mean, the, the dude can, he's a very willing tackler. Uh, and he likes to get his nose in and mix it up. If you look at his 2019 game against BYU, he does a lot of what you're talking about, David. He's carrying vertical field, vertical routes up the field. Um, he's making some strong tackles. He's imposing his physical will. He's sticky on in-breaking routes, especially those intermediate dig routes, which are very, very common in the NFL. Um, and he's got great eyes in zone coverage. I mean, his his dad was a uh, all-Pac-10 cornerback at Oregon, uh, Alex Molden, uh, and he was a first-round pick, number 11th overall in the 1996 NFL draft to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, so he's got what the scouts would like to say, quote unquote, pedigree. Uh, that's, you know, it's a technical term. It's not just the dog food. Um, it, and so it, it's one of those things where he he does deploy his physical tools as well as you can. I mean, honestly, I think it's it's the, the strength to his game for sure. Like um, he was definitely best in coverage when he could get hands on guys within kind of that first five yards. So again, he wasn't necessarily impressed and looking to get guys right at the line of scrimmage a ton, but he did want to, to get hands on early in the route. Right. And so as the, the receivers kind of getting up field in his stem, he wanted to kind of make contact. And if he could do that effectively, then he was on the guy. He was on their hip basically right for the entire route. And he was able to make a lot of plays. And that's where a lot of his pass breakups and, and things like that came from. Um, but but when you get into kind of the areas of concern with him, it's when he can't do that, that things really kind of fall apart down the field, right? So again, underneath stuff, you know, the, the short throws, the screens, the stuff under five yards, um, especially when he can play downhill or we can get hands on you early on, excellent. Um, but on, on the stuff that's a little bit further downfield, if he doesn't get that hands-on early and, and kind of get control of the route very early on in the play, um, he doesn't have the athleticism and the change of direction ability to be able to make up for that. And so there, there were definitely plays where, uh, you know, either he would whip or the receiver would do a good job of, of kind of getting off that contact. And then he would give up a, a good amount of separation because the, the athleticism just wasn't there to kind of make up ground when he couldn't win early. Yeah, I'm imagining a play where, for whatever reason, he's he's lined up in the slot, and and then you've got someone like you know a big tight end like a Travis Kelsey or an Ertz or someone like that kind of bumps out into the formation, and for whatever reason now you've got Molden aligned over uh, a tight end who's you know maybe six three six four, it's going to be really tough for him to win that rep. And there were a couple times where he just flat out didn't win the rep in college because you just had a bigger receiver who could keep him at arm's length. So it's definitely a concern, but all around though, I think I still really liked his game. I liked the juice that he brought on the field. I liked that he was a willing tackler. He clotheslined someone at one point. Like the, my note in, in, in my notes when I was watching the film was like, he night train laned someone basically. Like he flat out clotheslined him in what should have been a flag and it didn't get called. But you know, like he's, he's in there. He's, he's a guy that was fun to watch, but you're just going to have to watch some of that, that physical maybe thing. If, the Niners end up drafting him uh, with their second pick. Yeah, I, I think like it's at least with him, um, you know, which I don't think you can say about a, a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about really is, is you at least can see a clear path to him being a, a quality player in the NFL, right? There, there are things that he does well that will translate in, and some of those deficiencies may still be there, right? And he may still give up uh, some of the stuff further downfield, but I think, in the right role, if you use him correctly, if you as much as possible keep him on the underneath stuff, make him an underneath zone defender, um, and, and, and kind of utilize him in that way, he's gonna, I, I think, be a positive player for your defense. And hey, Kwan Williams is only signed for a year. Uh, that's effectively who he re, who he'd be replacing if the Niners ended up signing him. 
and and the Niners love to send K1 Williams on DB blitzes. And all I'm saying is Elijah Molden did get blitzed. He was used as a blitzer. He has one rep against probably the best tackle in this draft, Penay Sewell. And he beat him on an inside move. He just straight up Nick Bosa'd him. That's all I'm saying. So look, if that's a sign of good things to come, who the hell knows? All I'm saying is he can beat the best tackle in football trying to get to the quarterback. That's a good sign. Uh, all right, let's get to the next corner we're going to talk about here, and that's Javon Holland from Oregon. His big board ranking is 52nd, so it's actually a little better than the consensus board ranking for Elijah Molden. Uh, Javon Holland, his physical profile is a little better than Elijah Molden's. He really has good measurables all around, no real deficiency, 80th percentile bench press, 44740, and fun fact, he's got the wingspan to support Four armbands on a single arm. <laughs> this is this is accurate. This is uh, this is, this is how we could ne- we we never lost sight of Javon Holland on the field. No. Didn't have to look at his number. Just well, counted the armbands. Love the accessory heavy guys. Uh, it's it's very easy to spot them. Yeah, I, the I think swag is your friend. The 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 way that you described Holland's physical profile is honestly like how I feel about his his game as well. Like the the kind of solid all around and and no real like major deficiencies but also nothing that really stands out at like an elite level like a a, a one like really excellent trait that he can kind of hang his hat on i i think the the best aspects of his game um come and, and kind of work hand in hand in a lot of ways which is is really his processing and his ball skills right so i think a lot of the positive plays that he's making and and he probably more than anyone in this class. I, I, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but I, I believe the, the number of plays that he made on the ball in his two seasons uh, were, were more than basically anybody else uh, that, that we're going to talk about today. Had over 20 uh, combined interceptions and pass breakups um, throughout his two seasons at Oregon. And, and so I think a lot of that comes because, again, the, the athleticism isn't elite necessarily, right? He's, he's not, um, he doesn't have great speed. He doesn't have really, you know, great, uh, change of direction necessarily. So a lot of times when he's winning, it, it, it's because he's diagnosing plays correctly, getting to the right spots, um, and, you know, not being late there because you don't have the athleticism to make up that ground and, and arrive on time, right? So uh, I, I think you see the processing ability there being very good. And then I, I think he looks very natural turning, finding the ball, making plays. And I think, you know, the, again, the, the number of plays that he made on the ball speak to that, but in the stuff downfield, um, you know, when you see him, some it's just it's very obvious the guys that feel comfortable um, looking for the ball and playing it right. Some guys just don't. They panic. They can be in even good position, but they they just struggle to get their head around to locate the ball to to be able to make any sort of play on it. It just doesn't look natural to them. It, it very much does with Holland. Like there there were just so many plays that we watched where it just. He looks very smooth getting his head around. He's, you know, he's, he knows he's on that inside hip there. He, he knows he has the time to be able to look. And then he makes the play on the ball like it's intended for him, right? Just looks very natural catching the ball. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I like the idea of adding somebody, you know, with his type of playmaking ability on the back end, I think is something that, that the 49ers could really use in the secondary. I think of the players that we watch, David, he has the best ball skills and it's probably not close. Yeah, I think like, there's it, one guy that we'll talk about that I think is is maybe in the conversation, but yeah, I, I would largely agree. I think Holland is, is definitely the guy there that um, set, set himself apart in that area. Yeah, and, and that's something that the Niners could really gain from someone in the defensive backfield. And I think he probably projects more to safety, but did play in the slot. Uh, in some of the plays that we watched, I think if you're looking for areas of concern, it, it is going to be what happens with his change of direction uh, and with some du- with with his performance against double moves. Things that can, I think, the double move bit be coached up, but definitely a concern. The game against Arizona State, we actually got to roll back some of Brandon Ayuk's greatest hits. Go back to 2019, watch this game, uh, and Javon Holland did not have a good game uh, against Arizona State. Um, Ayuk roasted him. Uh, number ten. I had to look up who number ten was because uh, he roasted uh, Javon Holland a couple of times. I looked it up and I thought my internet was broken because it turns out that number ten for Arizona State is Kyle Williams. 
not the number 10 Kyle Williams that went to Arizona State that cost the Niners potentially a Super Bowl win, but another Kyle Williams who also was at Arizona State and, and wore number 10. It kind of broke my brain a little bit, but needless to say, stop naming your children Kyle Williams. Um, and, and yeah, it just, he, he did not have a good game against those receivers. And it was in large part because they were very good, quick route runners and they really tested his change of direction. And, and he didn't really have the ability to recover when they got him to move and take false steps in ways that just, he didn't want to go. I mean, you think about the type of player that, that Ayuk is right. And, and it's that explosiveness is, is kind of one of the first things that, that really jumps out with him. And, and it was clear that, that Holland didn't have that level of explosiveness to match, right? There were just some plays that he got spun around and, and just got left kind of in the dust and, and gave up a ton of separation. So some some ugly looking snaps against players like that, that, that are going to be explosive and, and quality route runners, um, you know, I think are areas that he could have a little bit of, of issue. And um, I, I think there's an argument that, you know, he uh, might be, better at safety like I, I think it's hard i think he can play uh you know a little bit of both um and he can probably play both. Be i think okay. that he yeah. would be like a like a dj reed kind of player where like he can play kind of both but maybe plays one better than the other i think dj reed actually plays corner better than safety i think holland might play safety better than corner but you can play them in both places in a pinch they're in that kind of versatile area um, but man, I just, his, his ball skills are tantalizing. They really are. Um, and the way he's able to play downhill, I, I really, really liked, I think I, I could understand the team, uh, going after someone like Holland instead of Molden, um, just for that reason alone. Like I, I these two players for me, like I'd be happy with either one really. Um, I just know that they would each bring something else to the table. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, Holland is, is, uh, you, you get some Jimmy Ward vibes, right? I, I could see them liking his game because you know again he's not going to be the best safety he's probably not going to be the best you know slot uh, there but he can do a little bit of both if you have some injuries on the back end you can move him around and um and again because i think he has already that experience playing multiple spots within the defense um he has the good processing like i i think it he can handle being moved around a little bit right i don't know that he's going to be a guy that needs to really find a spot and settle in and, and just kind of learn that one thing and do that one thing. Well, like I, I think he's shown already at the college level that he can handle kind of multiple roles within the defense and, and, and kind of go back and forth between those. So yeah, I, I think he might be a better safety, but you can definitely use him um, in either role. And I think, yeah, you just got to be careful about, you know, the matchups and and make sure that you're putting him in positions to succeed and giving him positions to, to get into those zone drops, less, you know, um, one-on-one coverage situations where you can kind of, uh, you know, that change of direction can really come back to bite him. Let him use his instincts, the ball skills, all of that stuff to, to kind of make plays for you in, in more of a zone structure. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. We've got two more players to cover in this grouping. One, The next player is Aaron Robinson. He is a slot corner from the University of Central Florida. His consensus big board ranking is 61st. And when we get to his physical profile, look, I'm just saying he's a T-Rex. He is stout. He is strong. But boy, does it look like someone chopped off his arms accidentally. Like, it looks like he should have another four inches to his arms, and he does not because his arms are very short. Uh, and, and look, if he gets them on you, you're toast. You're absolute toast because the dude is strong. He's a bully. He bullies receivers and he beats them up, but only within maybe like uh, four or five inches or so. Like just, just, just beyond chest level is where basically his range. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, like I, I had a tough time 
getting too excited about Robinson's tape. Like it, it just kind of felt like, I mean, so we watched Robinson after watching, um, you know, both Molden and, and Holland. And it just kind of, I got uh, poor man's Molden vibes from him. Like he was, a lot of the strengths were, were similar, right? He's, he's definitely, I think a better player um, around the line of scrimmage. He made good plays in, in the screen game where again, he could be physical and, and take on blocks and make tackles around the line of scrimmage. Um, you definitely see that like attacking type of style to a, a lot of plays in his game. Um, and, and I think you see the short area burst right on the underneath stuff. And, and that's kind of where uh, he seems to be best fit. Um, but then you get to, uh, you know, the, the kind of deeper stuff down the field. And, and I think it wasn't as good. Molden at least, right, had a lot of plays. He was actually very good on those vertical routes from the slot because he was so good it kind of getting the hands on early and getting in good position to be able to kind of prevent the receiver from getting on top of him, right? Where they would be able to separate and run away from him because he doesn't have really that long speed. Robinson was not as good. He got stacked a bunch, right? And, and by stacked, I just mean the receiver's getting directly on top of him. So now you're just, it's a bad position to be in as a corner, right? You're trailing the play. You're not in position to be able to really uh, get around and make a play on the ball or, or, or do much of anything. And that's where you see receivers really start to kind of separate and run away from guys. And, and that just kind of was something that happened to him, um, you know, a lot. And, and, and I think it's, so it was just kind of like, again, a similar sort of profile, but just not as good at those things as Molden. Yeah. I think when, when you look at his change of direction, there's definitely some concern. Now he's not a small guy, right? He's six one, like 200 pounds. He is, he is kind of a taller player. If you're going to think about someone who's in the slot. I mean, we think of the, the other slot players we've talked about so far in this group, like Javon Holland, he's like not six feet. He's like five eleven and some change. Same with Elijah Molden. He's somewhere near, uh, you know, five, nine, five, ten, And, and now you get to Robinson and he just looks taller. He, he looks like a physically bigger dude. But his his change of direction isn't as good, and and when you're thinking about what that you know what that may limit him to in the NFL, you now start to worry, especially when you look at players in college that are able to make him look like they're out athleting him if he can't get to them in press coverage right away. Now he played a lot of snaps in press coverage. He had you know something like a hundred and some odd snaps in press coverage, which is not something you see often in college. There's a lot of zone coverage in college. Um, and, and so he, you know, that he has maybe the ability to play press man, uh, as an outside corner. I don't know that he projects super well into the slot in the NFL. Maybe he plays strong safety. Um, I think there's maybe a concern here about like where, where he fits, like, like where, where do you kind of put him? Um, cause I think if a team can carve out a role for him, maybe they can, they can get like some good depth snaps out of him. But but I just don't know that as a second round player that he's necessarily the guy that I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, I'm going to go ahead and find something for you when there are other players like Holland or Molden who may be a better fit for what the Niners want to do. Yeah, I think like when you look at him as a slot, I, I don't I have too many concerns on the coverage side of, of things with him, right? Whether it's the, the vertical routes getting stacked a lot, whether it's just like I just don't think he played with very good leverage a lot of times. Like he gave up a lot of seam routes um, that he should have been able to play better. And, and, and so there's just like, yeah, too much on the coverage end of things that, that leave me concerned about him playing in that role. I don't like, I mean, I've seen rumblings about him uh, maybe transitioning to the outside because of the size and the fact that he played, uh, you know, a good amount of press coverage for a slot corner at, at the college level. Um, but I just, I don't think he was good in that era. Like, I don't think he was good at press. Um, you mentioned the short arms. Like, I don't know that that it really translates well to him, um, you know, playing on the outside. And so I don't really love that role for him. Um, you know, I don't know uh, that he has, yeah, I definitely don't like him as like a deeper safety. I think like he's a, maybe like a box type guy where, you get more of the physical um, traits that can be well. He can he can be probably um, pretty good for you again in the screen and underneath stuff and, and maybe in the run game a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I, I just uh, I, I'm not sure where I feel comfortable playing him at the next level. And now we get to our last guy in this group, and that's Jamar Johnson, Indiana. Uh, he is uh, 95th on the consensus big board. And, and he is another kind of guy who's in that 5'11 range, but he comes in at 205. 
So he's a little thick with two C's in a good way. Um, his physical profile is that he, I mean, he's a, just a bit more stout than some of the other players and looks it on tape. Now, where he wins is really in deep coverage plays on the ball. He's had some really, really pretty interceptions, including one against Justin Fields. That is just, I mean, when you talk about his break on the ball, the way he flips his hips, his pedal, like everything on the interception was really, really pretty. Um, so much so that you're like, okay, maybe you should like play with things in front of you. And maybe, maybe we're not going to put you in the slot. Maybe we're going to put you somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, so this was the guy that that I said, you know, uh, that I alluded to earlier that, that could maybe challenge Holland in terms of um, his ability on the ball. Because again, he's he's maybe the only other player that that we're going to talk about that I thought just looked very natural going after the ball, right? Like um, had good hands, could make you know actual like could could make interceptions when he had the chance. I mean, he had um, some really like absurd plays in, in terms of just like pure high end coverage plays. Um, he probably had the, 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 some of the best snaps of, of anybody that we watched. I mean, so there was, I mean, you had, a, an interception against Purdue in 2019, um, you know, where he's more in the slot and, and just like carries the seam route into the end zone. And again, just looks so good turning, finding the ball, going up, making the interception, like it was intended for him the entire way. Um, he had a, another play as like a deep half safety against Michigan where, um, you know, so again, the corner um, isn't carrying the route. He's kind of squatting like in, in cover two pushes him to the sideline and you see him get all the way from the hash to the sideline, like lunging, stealing the ball away from the receiver and getting a foot down in bounds, like just an incredible play. And then the, the fields interception that you mentioned um, was also very good. I mean, he, he starts out, he's a single high safety in this play actually, opens up rather than kind of taking a more neutral drop just kind of to the center of the field actually opens his hips up to the left and that kind of keys fields so that okay I'm going to throw the the seam route to the opposite side and you see him just again open those hips up make a play um, undercut the the seam route that he's trying to throw there and get a pick so yeah I, I think his high end plays especially when he's in those deep covered roles um, are some of the best of, of any player that we watched. Yeah, I mean, the the things that, that worry me a little bit about Johnson is if he's not playing safety, um, if he's playing in the slot, you do worry a bit about his his fluidity to be able to move around and carry guys when he's reacting to what's happening next to him as opposed to kind of being able to move downhill. Uh, the I created a new scouting term specifically for Jamar Johnson. Uh, I call it getting Shakirid. It's where uh, the wide receiver just basically forces hip freeze uh, and, and it causes the hips to just flat out lie. Uh, getting Shakirid is, is what I have as an actual scouting term note. I'm going to put it right next to oily hips. It's like, maybe the, it's the opposite of oily. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it sounds like the opposite. It is the contrapositive to getting, uh, you know, to having someone with oily hips. It is getting Shakirid. Uh, and that was in the place incidentally against Ohio state. Other interesting note against Jamar Johnson. And maybe it's not, uh, Jamar Johnson specifically, but Indiana specifically, their camo uniforms are up there with Boise State's blue field as like the thing I never, ever want to see on tape ever. That <laughs> uniform was fucking awful. It was uh, terrible. It, it was bad. It was about as awful as he is as a tackler, um, if I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, uh, to, to kind of round out that guy. Like, so that's the, like, the main concern I feel like that I have with him is, is just that like, I, I don't need a lot from you as a tackler and, and, and being physical, like Javon Holland, not an overly physical player, right? We watched Holland right after we watched Molden and it, and it was very clear the difference in, in, you know, you watch a screenplay and Molden is like blowing up that slot receiver and taking him out and, and the receiver on the bubble at the same time. And just like so many fucking screens that so he many, destroyed, like, like 75% <laughs> of his plays felt like it was just him fucking destroying bubble screens. Um, but you go to Holland, right, and you didn't see that same sort of stuff. But but what Holland would do is he would make the tackle. Like, the, the job would get done. It just wasn't done as emphatically as Molden was doing it, right? Like, but but ultimately, that's all you need, right, from a lot of your, your corners and secondary players. Like, people don't need to be going out there and taking heads off all the time. Like, just get the guy on the fucking ground is, is ultimately what matters. And Jamar Johnson just could not consistently do that. Like, had 
just some of the ugliest tackle attempts that that I've I've seen in a while. Um, I mean, there there were plays, and this is where you worry about him. So yeah, you definitely don't want him around the line of scrimmage and in the box and in dealing with that same sort of stuff. Um, but but even as a deeper safety, right? You need to be able to reliably make tackles and get guys on the ground because you're the last line of defense, right? If if they make you miss, it's over. And and you saw that a lot where it was just like he's coming up from a deep alignment and just like whiffs, like just doesn't even barely get a hand on the guy. And I mean, there was a play uh, in that that same Ohio State game where you know Fields is out on a scramble and and is getting downfield, and it just like it's it's like he barely even touches him, and so. Yeah, I think you don't need to be great there, but he was so bad that it does make you worry a little bit that that it kind of offsets what he might be able to provide for you in coverage. All right, let's get to the outside defensive backs. We've only got two players in this group, and there just aren't very many players, I think, outside of that initial crop of defensive backs that may be available for the 49ers in this area. I mean, the Niners, I don't think, are going to have an opportunity, unless they trade up and do something crazy, are not going to have a crack at the Sertains, JC World, JC uh, Horns, or um, you know Caleb Farley's of the world. Even Greg Newsom might be kind of out of their reach, and he's kind of the the bottom of of that group. Um, you know, when you're looking at the consensus big board, there aren't very many like straight up outside people that we thought would would be fun to watch or would fit. So there are two players in this group. One first one we'll cover is. Efatu Malafonwu from Syracuse. Nailed it. 56th on the consensus big board. Guys, you have no idea how stressful it has been this entire <laughs> podcast thinking about having to say that name out loud. <laughs> I have been butchering this name for a week. It is Since since the moment we started watching him, uh, it was Malawanfu. Uh, um, yeah, I've been... Flipping, you flipping can't say it out loud, though. You head. can't... You can't fuck me up at this point. I said it right. I've got and it I was right like, in my no, brain. No, 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 no. Melifonwu? And you like, yeah, yeah, Melifonwu. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> and then, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, as we were, like, getting ready to watch tape for for this, and we knew we wanted to talk about defensive backs, and and, and largely, I mean, I think, at least in my mind, um, that was primarily going to focus on, on outside corner. And it was just as we started getting into the guys – that were looking like they would likely be available in the range that the 49ers might be looking to select a, a defensive back. Um, it was just a lot of guys who kind of did that sort of hybrid slot safety um, you know, type of role in, in college. And there just weren't a lot of great options, I feel like, uh, at outside. And so I think when when you look at the two guys, in, in a lot of ways, I think there there are some similarities with Melifonwu. Um, I mean, from a physical profile standpoint, he checks a lot of boxes, right? He's got the, the, the good size, 6'2", 6'3", something like that, over 200 pounds, long arms, um, you know, very much what you would think that, you know, the 49ers, uh, you know, when we look back a few years, looking at that Seattle kind of mold of, of corner, like very much a guy that seems to, to fit that type of mold. But um, it, it just didn't really show up as much as you would like, I think, um, on tape in his actual game. Yeah, it, he's got those those length. He's got that length. He's got physical tools. Um, but man, it, it really isn't often that you see him use his size to his advantage. Um, he's not terribly great in press. He doesn't really disrupt uh, disrupt routes early on. Um, and, and it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, you've got those physical tools and you've got that physical profile, but it doesn't always translate to what you do well on tape. He can certainly stay on top of routes. Um, I think there was a really good uh, uh, rep against Clemson when he really stays on top of an out and up and, and he doesn't get beat, which, you know, double moves can sometimes destroy players in college. Uh, we, we've seen that for some of the players we've covered on this pod, but he's definitely got skills to play the corner position. And if you think that you can take those, those really good physical tools and, and turn them into something a bit more, then I, I think he's a really, you know, kind of scintillating prospect because his change of direction is a little dicey, right? But if you're thinking about primarily that cover three scheme where he's going to be carrying a lot of verticals, he may place a man, then, then maybe you're thinking, okay, we can work with that. We don't need him to change too much direction. He's not going to project to be someone that you're going to cover in the slot. You know, basically you've got to break inside um, or you've got to stay on top of those vertical routes, and he can do some of that pretty well. 
Um, so he's definitely got a, a pro ready frame, but it, it just, you know, it doesn't always show up as something that he relies on to win. And if you can rely on that a bit more, I think you've got a, a bit more uh, of an upside. You've got a ceiling here that you can work with. I, I think that's like kind of, kind of my issue, right? Is like the profile seems like it would be good is, is if you think of it like, okay, we're going to use him basically like Richard Sherman, right? We're going to, we're going to play him. Um, only on the outside, and, and we're going to really have him focus with, you know, we're going to run a lot of zone and, and basically have him only need to focus on a limited number of routes, right? I need to be able to basically handle the vertical stuff and the outbreaking stuff and, and really a lot of the, um, you know, the stuff that's going to work inside. I'm going to have some help there, and I'm going to rely on my overall defensive structure to, to help take those things away, right? Um, I just don't think he was very good at doing those things, right? Because he wasn't, again, very physical at the line of scrimmage. I don't think he was good at press at, at all. And, and so a lot of it kind of breaks down when you can't do there. I mean, we did see a lot of his, his best plays. You did see the length come into play, right? So I, I think there, there were definitely situations where because of, you know, one of the, the many reasons, whether it was not getting a good press or, or the change of direction was, was uh, giving the receiver a little bit of separation there, there were plays where he wasn't in great position, but was still able to use that length to get his hand uh, in there and, and knock down a pass, right? Because the pass was maybe just slightly off target. It wasn't perfectly thrown. Um, he was able to use that length to, to kind of get in there and make a play. And so it does give him some, some more room for error, right? He doesn't need to be as perfect in the kind of the, the lead up to the catch point um, and, and he can still make plays, right? But I, I, I just think there was too much there um, where he was just inconsistent or just not very good in, in general. It, it, it's some of those other basic things that just have me kind of worried that, that those physical tools and the profile there isn't something that is going to translate to production on the field. Now, this other player is someone that I, I wonder if you would draft over Melifonu because we're thinking about this. Oh, in, last night about Melifonu, his brother, currently Niner. Obi, drafted in the second round by the Raiders, currently on a future reserves contract with the 49ers. So, hey, you could have uh, your own brother backfield uh, for the 49ers in Obi and Ifatu. On the practice squad. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Second round pick on the practice squad. So I'm thinking you you may like Eric Stokes a little bit better. Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. Consensus big board ranking is 48th. Uh, So Melifonwu was 56th, Stokes 48th. His physical profile, not nearly as big as Melifonwu. Uh, he's not as thick, but he is faster and plays faster in a straight line. His overall athletic profile is uh, it's pretty good. Really, really good. I mean, he's got uh, a wingspan. He's got uh, a good height. I mean, he's just a shade over six feet long. Uh, and you look at his 40-yard dash, though. 40-yard dash, 4'3". Now, I know there's some scuttlebutt about pro day, you know, 40 times and what they mean and this, that, and the other. But look, dude's fast and it shows up on tape. And, and that's it. It's like 4-3-1, what does that tell me? It tells me he's kind of fast. Do I see it when I watch him play football? Yes, dude is fast. Yeah, I, I mean, like, no, apparently nobody in this defensive back class outside of the first round can fucking change direction. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, they're all not, not great at it. And, and so I think that was... Uh, you know, the, the case with Stokes is, yeah, very good in a straight line. And so I think the main difference for me, right, is, is that Stokes showed the ability to do those things, right? If you're going to have this kind of narrow um, skill set where you can kind of play this one specific role and you can be physical at the line of scrimmage and be press and, and I'm going to take away a limited part of the route tree and just be very good at defending those routes, like he at least showed that, right? He, he was great at the line of scrimmage. He played a ton of press at Georgia. Um, and he was, he was so good. And I mean, he wasn't even really tested very often, um, you know, during his last college season, he didn't have very many targets at all. And it was largely because, you know, he was good in that kind of initial phase of the route at getting, uh, you know, kind of taking things away before they could really get going. And so I think you at least saw the, the production in that area. The concern with him is, is I think that he was really maybe overly physical and, and, and kind of grabby um, to the point that you, you worry because of the lack of change of direction ability, right? It just, that's what he needs. He needs that contact to be able to stay tight to receivers. 
And, and there were just a lot of plays. I mean, he got called for a decent number of penalties that, that we saw as is at, at the college level where the rules are a little bit more forgiving. You don't have to deal with legal contact and shit like that. But um, yeah, I, I just like worry about him at the NFL level where you're going against even, you know, again, better receivers, better route runners, more athletic guys, and um, not having the change of direction skills to match and getting too grabby and getting just a lot of penalties thrown at him uh, at, at the NFL level. I know that this is probably a terrible comparison to, to throw out to Niner fans, especially so recent after he has moved on to more Seattle-like pastures. But the grabbiness gave me shades uh, of Mr. Witherspoon uh, by the name of Kello. Like it's it's just that kind of thing where it's like okay yeah you're you're gonna grab for one reason or another whether it because you you didn't you know you weren't diagnosing the play correctly or you just got beat like th- that's the degree of grabbing that we saw from him and look if you can coach that out of him and I think that's something that could be coachable right with if you improve his technique he's got the athleticism to hang with anyone in the NFL he's physical he's a willing tackler. He showed some good play recognition skills, especially on those vertical routes that the Niners would ask him to, um, to, to really cover early in his career as an outside corner. Um, I would absolutely take him over uh, Melifonwu. And I do think of the two Georgia corners, because there's another Georgia corner uh, in Tyson Campbell, um, that I, I think he may be, because of his athletic traits, the one that I would pick over the two. Um, so definitely, I think of the outside corners, there aren't very many in this group, um, but he's the kind of guy I'm, I'm circling with, a, a, you know, a, a Sharpie. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know that I like I, I think he has the athletic tools to stay with with NFL receivers if they run in a straight line. But but like after that, like it, it gets a little dicey and like, yeah, I, I think that's kind of like I, I, I went into this you know, obviously with, we, we, we had the idea that we would like them to focus on the secondary a little bit, uh, on, on day two of the draft there and, and get somebody that can kind of, uh, give them, I mean, they need bodies there for one. And then they, they could use obviously some playmakers and, and some quality pieces there to use. Um, and I just kind of came away with the guys that were expected to be in that range, like pretty underwhelmed with, with what I saw from a lot of them. And so I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, if, I, if I'm picking between those two outside corners, yeah, like I'm definitely going um, with Stokes. I think just, you know, the the playing in the SEC, giving up the the numbers, the coverage numbers that he had and, and being that productive um, for multiple seasons, right, which he was able to do is is um, certainly the sort of uh, track record that I would want to lean with in, in this case. And at least I've seen him be good doing some very specific things, right? But um, yeah, I, I just didn't love his game that much. And, and I'm not like convinced that he's going to come in and, and necessarily do super well at, at the next level. If the Niners are going to go with a secondary player at 43 or whatever the hell the pick is, I always forget. Um, yeah, 43. Um, it, it, for me, it's Molden or Holland and then someone like Stokes. Uh, and and I think that I don't know whether they're going to draft someone in the the slot kind of interior. I mean, we know where they prioritize that in terms of both draft picks and money. I think they think that outside corner is more important than that interior slot guy. So I don't know if they would spend a second round pick on someone like Molden or Holland. I mean, DJ Reed was a fifth round pick, right? So I think that they that they use those later round picks on some of those slot guys and and take the outside corners with their uh, with their more premium picks. And if that's the case, then someone like Stokes could make a lot of sense. I, I still think that given the way that NFL passing is in today's game, that Molden and Holland are worth a second round pick, even a high second round pick. Um, but yeah, I can totally see how maybe, you know, the board and the way it falls and just the, the way the positions are, um, are, are stacked in this draft that maybe you don't go with corner at all. Um, you know, you can't, you really force a square peg in a round hole Yeah, and just I, go with, with, with another position where maybe you got some value because there were like, you know, a bunch of quarterbacks taken up at the top. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, uh, again, we haven't looked at it too much in, in the way of other positions at this stage, but, um, yeah, I, I think if you feel strongly about maybe going, uh, another position, I mean, this is a, a very good receiver class. I know, like if there are still, um, you know, some receivers on the board that are enticing, maybe you're looking there, but yeah, I, I don't know. 
I, I'm with you that I think I feel best about Molden and Holland um, and, and them having the best chance to be at least solid players who can contribute for you defensively and, uh, and, and at least be something you know, that, that is a quality piece to your team. Um, the rest of the guys, I don't know. I think there's just a lot of question marks there and, and or a lot more hit or miss. But I would understand, yeah, if, if unless somebody falls, unless somebody that, that we didn't really talk about that was expected to go in the first round um, suddenly is sliding a little bit and finds them, uh, you know, available there at 43, um, then, you know, maybe you're, you're looking at that option. But I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't think I'd be, you know, terribly upset if they just decided to kind of pass on these guys and, and say that, yeah, it's not the right year, it's not the right fit. Um, and, and we'll kind of add some bodies later in the draft, but we're going to go it, to a different position that we feel is stronger you know, at this stage. Well, next week, we are going to talk about some of those other options, both here and later on in the draft. The Niners have a lot of draft picks later in the draft, but instead of trying to do all that work ourselves, we're going to bring on a draft expert, a special guest, to talk about some of those uh, picks that the Niners could make a little bit later, or even maybe even at this pick. Because, I mean, you've got, like, Creed Humphrey, who's a center from Oklahoma. He's risen up the draft boards lately. Also, fantastic name. Uh, Joseph Osai, who is near and dear to my heart as an edge player from Texas. Uh, Osai would be awesome. And if the Niners ended up with someone like Osai, I think that would be really, really fun for me. But lots of other players to talk about. We'll be doing that a little bit later in the week with a special guest. And then the draft is going to happen in just a a little bit later. Uh, And so we'll come back. We'll have a uh, a reaction pod night one of the draft. Uh, I've already got something cooking for night two as well. Uh, And then who knows? Maybe we'll uh, emerge from our drunken coma on day three and uh, and do a little something, something. Who knows? We'll see what's going on. But Thanks again for tuning in. We'll have a Patreon video for one of these prospects up here in a little bit uh, on the Patreon, probably a little bit later this week. So definitely go to uh, the Patreon. Where can they find that, David? Uh, that will be patreon.com slash better rivals. Yeah, check it out. Gonna... Um, if you, you haven't had a chance to catch them so far, um, you know, buy us a beer there. Check out the quarterback videos. I think obviously that's um, going to be the big focus and the thing that we're talking about with this draft and the thing that's really going to define um, you know, ultimately how we feel about this draft class. And so, um, you know, we, we took a look at all of the prospects that could be options at that spot. Um, so yeah, go, go check it out. Bye, Spear. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners.